Bez Vargas. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is the Philly Experience Podcast, and it's a special welcome back today because, you know, we've been out two weeks, you know, a little vacation, a little free time. I hope everybody's still doing well, still enjoying their early weeks of summer Woo! as we approach these, uh, Memorial Day here in the next weekend. Guys, I hope everybody's fresh, rejuvenated, ready to dive back into sports. Again, Max Gretzula joined by Tyre Hood and Tanner Gilmartin. Uh, guys, I mean, how was, how was the, how was the two-week uh, two break here? Well, look, 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 let's put this out there right now. Y'all got a break from sports. I didn't. Let's let's put that out there right now. That's true. All right, <laughs> All right. I still got to watch the games. I still got to talk about them. I still got to report on them. I, I, I still got to break down audio. Yeah, yeah. Y'all got a break. I didn't. That's fair too. Yeah, I took a, a little trip to the Midwest. Um, got to see uh, some places on the way. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Got to see the Cleveland Brown Stadium. Who? Um, now I know they definitely have a better stadium than the Eagles. Uh, that's for sure. A wow. lot of teams that I saw better situation than the Phillies and the Eagles with stadiums, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, man, uh, away from sports for a while, I'm ready to dive right back in there. Most definitely nice, solid road trip. I mean, I'm sure it was cool to get away for a little bit, just see, uh, you know, not only a different, you know, city or two, but just to get out there and kind of travel for the first or second time since this whole pandemic started, even though it was a road trip. Yeah, man, that's plane. for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, speaking of stadiums, speaking of the Eagles, um, I know we're talking about off-season football right now, schedule released um, as well. And, and, of course, now the biggest rumor that we've heard within the last 24 hours is the Julio Jones wanting out of Atlanta. Now, we've seen earlier this year and even into 2020 back a little bit, Deshaun Watson wanted out of a toxic situation. Aaron Rodgers wants out of a toxic situation, in his opinion. Now we got another star player, not a quarterback this time, but a wide receiver. And I got to tell you, you know, when you when you look back on the whole, you know, recording, I guess, with Shannon Sharp calling Julio Jones flat out on Skip and Shannon the other day, not telling Julio that he's live on TV. Man. I know, Tanner, you sent right. that to us, and I know we were all <laughs> shocked. But when I first saw that, and then, and then I guess – at the end of it, he goes, oh, by the way, we're on TV. And even the host of the show, she said, Ken Shannon, can you let uh, let this let Julio know that we're on live television? Yeah. And, uh, you know, he didn't get that. Uh, he didn't get that memo until the end of that conversation. So what's your first reaction? I guess not only with that whole story on national television, but also Julio wanting out of Atlanta. Well, first off, this is why athletes, man, when y'all getting interviewed and stuff like that, man, y'all got to watch y'all words, man. Y'all got to watch what y'all say. That, this is prime example right here. Like, you never know when you're going to get set up, and, you know, your words hold value. You know, everything that you do, it holds value. So, athletes, you guys really need to be careful who you talk to, who you associate with, who you tell things to, all right? Try to keep things as close to the chest as you possibly can if you don't want things to be revealed. Now, with all that being said, all right, Julio Jones what now? He could he clearly made that clear um on FS1. All right, he did. And here's the thing. It it wasn't it wasn't a shocker to me that he wants out. It it's been rumored for the longest and you know, he now He's actually saying it in his own words, but my thing is this: he kind of hurt his, he kind of hurt himself and the team's value in terms of what they can get back from him. Because now it's a situation where, okay, Julio Jones is saying 
He's, he's going to be out, period, point blank. Like, he's not coming back to Atlanta. He's made that perfectly clear. So now that's less leverage on the Atlanta Falcons side where they used to be able to negotiate and say to teams, well, you know, if you don't give us the right deal, we can still keep them. Like, it's rumored that they want a first-round draft pick. Honestly, after Julio's statement, uh, I don't think they're going to be able to get a first-round draft pick. Teams aren't going to be that desperate to get Julio Jones. They're going to you know, still present some decent, nice offers for Julio Jones, considering who he is and the pedigree um, at the right receiver position that he presents. But at the same time, that, that that leverage for the Atlanta Falcons isn't there anymore. So honestly, I don't think it's gonna, they're going to be able to get a first-round pick because of that. I was already questionable, you know, with Julio Jones and his injuries and things of that nature and his age about them getting a first-round pick for him. But with this recent statement from Julio Jones, it's just not going to happen now. Nah, T. It doesn't. It doesn't hurt the market at all for the Falcons. Actually, it makes it more crazy uh, for the offers because you know what, T. Uh, there was. It's actually official. The Falcons. Um, they were in trade talks about Julio Jones six months ago. Uh, it's actually hurts the teams that were more low key in talks with the Falcons. Now every team is going to be talking with the Falcons, and it's. This is a special wide receiver. Now he's okay. on. He's aging. Um, he's he's on the older side now, but he can still play. He showed that. And the person that this is going to affect the most, obviously, is Matt Ryan, um, because this is where you jump into the business side of things. They they changed up Matt Ryan's contract to uh, to better help the team. He gets paid immediately. Now you have Ridley. Uh, Kyle Pitts on the Falcons. So you still have those guys who now are going to get more touches with Julio Jones gone. But the, the thing I found really interesting, and Max, you already mentioned it, uh, was when I sent you that guy, that video was because Shannon Sharp didn't start off the call saying, hey, you're on Undisputed right now, live. Um, which I think is obviously, that's, I mean, that, that could be illegal. It but is. Um, states. I think it's not a big deal because the Falcons already knew that they were going to trade Julio Jones. I mentioned for months now they've been in they've been in talks. And T, I still think the Falcons can get a first rounder for this. But what I've seen from the market is actually teams are offering the Falcons other sort of mixtures in trade, not a first round pick, but maybe a second and a special player that the Falcons can use to obviously win more games. This is a bigger season. Julio Jones also mentioned he did not want to be on the Cowboys. Now that could just be talk. <laughs> Who knows? Money talks more. Ooh, yeah. So um, uh, we'll see how that goes. But I, I, I did like hearing that he did not want to be on the Cowboys. He wanted to be on a winning team. But why would that mean the Philadelphia Eagles, a team that is not set on their starting quarterback yet? Well, shoot, at this point, let's just throw J.J. Ortega-Whiteside in the second or third rounder up in there. Let's go. Let's get this done. Shoot. Nobody wants Nobody <laughs> wants him. Guys, Julio Jones, I want to mention here real fast. I know he's been obviously you know, in the media because of his whole situation the last few days. He's 32 years old, and we got to talk about you know not only the whole situation around him but the player that he is today. Just turned 32 back in February. The player we saw in 2018, 2019, even maybe 2017 and before that, is not the same player that we saw last year in 2020. Now, a lot of people want to chalk up 2020 as a weird year, not only football-wise, but just around the world. Do you guys still buy into Julio being a top-five receiver in this league back 2020 or 2021 healthy, puts those soft-tissue injuries behind him from last year? You have 
the hamstring injuries he was dealing with specifically couldn't even run. And also the organization, like Tanner mentioned as a whole, Kyle Pitts is there. You also have to look at Calvin Ridley being the number one wide receiver kind of took over the Falcons. Of course, Julio says he wants to win. He was not going to win in Atlanta. Let's be honest. They're kind of trending backwards. I know that they just got a stud in Kyle Pitts, but that defense still needs a lot of work and he's probably not going to win a playoff game, let alone even make the playoffs in Atlanta right now. Matt Ryan, still a good quarterback, in my opinion. He's serviceable, but he's getting up there in age. So Eagles probably not the number one destination, but with Julio Jones, if he gets traded to the Eagles, um, and then that's kind of where he ends up, how does that stand for the Eagles' standpoint? Does that give them a boost to maybe get them up to the near top of the division? Because right now they're projected to finish fourth out of four teams. Or is it really not the right time for the Eagles to really spend all that money considering how short they are in cap space. I'm going to be honest with you, Max. Um, And this is, you know, kind of flying under the radar a little bit, but there are, you know, there are experts quote unquote out there. I know there's also some of my fellow colleagues at WIP who think that the Eagles could make a surprise this year and make a push for the playoffs considering, you know, the division that they're in. All right. We know that the Cowboys for some reason or another, even though they're probably the team that has the most talent out of all the four teams in the NFC East. I just threw up in my mouth, just thinking about that and saying that regardless of that, they, for some reason just can't get to the finish line and go to the playoffs. I don't, for something always happens with the Dallas Cowboys, the New York giants. All right. They're still in development. I, I, to this day, I still don't believe in Daniel Jones. I just don't. I think, What's stopping them is Daniel Jones, honestly, and that's just my personal opinion. And with the Washington football team, I mean, they they have a very stout defense. It's offense and them figuring, them figuring out the quarterback position. So it, this division is still in flux. You trade for Julio Jones, even with the current uh, situation that the Eagles are in, it definitely gives the Eagles a huge boost because at the end of the day, even though Tanner mentioned it, Tanner mentioned the fact that, you know, the team hasn't necessarily committed verbally to Jalen Hurts. The team has provided a whole bunch of ways without them verbally committing to Jalen Hurts, them saying that they are committing to Jalen Hurts. One, they did not draft a quarterback in the draft at all. They picked up a quarterback, Jamie Newman, all right, and um, and as an undrafted free agent rookie. They signed Joe Flacco. Flacco's not beating out anybody in competition. Flacco barely wants to play play the football anymore. All right. Flacco's gonna come in and be the backup. He's gonna mention Jalen Hurts. Let's be honest here. Jalen Hurts is is quarterback one going into this year. So if you want to see what Jalen Hurts can do, you the the point is if you want to see Jalen Hurts flourish, you want to put as many weapons as you can around him. You got one weapon in Devontae Smith. That's automatic weapon. Like I'm I'm stamping it right now. But Behind Devontae Smith is where we get question marks. Like a lot of people are expecting Jalen Rager to take a, 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 a year or two leap. That's questionable. I don't, we don't know that yet. All right. Greg Ward. Uh, he's an okay slot guy. After that, who else? Quest Watkins have flashes, but eh. John Hightower has the speed, but can't catch the deep ball. JJ, I think Whiteside is useless. So you need as much right receiver help as you possibly can. Not to mention the fact that, you know, Dallas Goddard looks like he's going to be tight end number one going into this year because eventually the team's going to figure out what they're going to do with Zach Ertz, which is a huge weapon that we're going to lose eventually. So you need as much talent as you can around Jalen Hurts. Yeah, T. Julio Jones, I already mentioned this, special wide receiver. I say go for it, definitely. I don't care which type of season the Eagles are slated to have. A player like Julio Jones, no matter how old he is, 32, we see Larry Fitzgerald still playing. He's 37 years old, and he's on the Cardinals. 
Uh, and just a segue from that, I know DeAndre Hopkins said he would take a pay cut for Julio Jones um, to be on the Cardinals. But, I mean, they already have Hopkins, Fitzgerald, A.J. Green, Christian Kirk. Um, I don't feel like that would be realistic. If Julio Jones really wants to be that guy, um, maybe, like you know, you, you come into Philadelphia, you got Smith there too, but you know you're still going to put on a show um, for the Philadelphia crowd. But Julio Jones is a wide receiver that always has been on the top of the game. I mean, he's been just competing. We're talking historically stats-wise with like Jason Witten with um with the catches you know how much they the Cowboys used Jason Witten um through his career and he was there what four years before Julio Jones was in the league maybe maybe two or three and Julio Jones still um competing with them stats uh putting up amazing numbers um now two seasons ago he did have a bit of a slump but that you could put that on um the Falcons as a whole and how Matt Ryan was really playing after they blew that, that Super Bowl. And this could be a completely different story if the Falcons went ahead and they beat the Patriots in that Super Bowl. Who knows how the team would be uh, right now. But he doesn't deserve to be on this Falcons team uh, the way that they've been playing. Now, I know that they're going to have um, they're going to have the young guys like Kyle Pitts putting on a show over there in Atlanta. But Julio Jones needs to try something new. He wants to be on a winning team and he deserves that. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the situation first with the Atlanta Falcons and then drafting wide receivers at a high level. They, you know, it reminds me of the Roddy White thing where Roddy White used to be their number one guy. And of course, they draft Julio. Julio kind of comes in, slots in when Roddy White retires, takes over that number one role. Uh, maybe even was the number one before Roddy White re- retired. And then you have Calvin Ridley kind of like the same thing. It's like I- irony. You know, you have Calvin Ridley come in here and now he's almost like the number one wide receiver. So, I think now is the time if you're the Atlanta Falcons to trade Julio Jones because we've seen it with the Zach Ertz situation where Zach Ertz, you know, came out in the media. He wants to get traded. Um, you know, I mean, maybe he didn't, but again, it's kind of both sides have come to some sort of standstill as far as not giving Ertz the contract he thought he deserved. Um, not asking for Travis Kelsey or Kittle money, but he wanted that third mark. The Eagles wouldn't, weren't willing to go there. So the longer you wait, I think the worse it gets for the Falcons. And right now they want a first round pick. I don't think they're going to get that. Uh, the longer this goes, I feel like it's just the closer we get to training camp in the season. Um, you can look at that both ways. Maybe a team gets desperate. Uh, they really think Julio Jones puts them over the edge, which he might do for a lot of teams and they give them a top dollar. Or you look at it from a Zach Ertz standpoint, the longer they wait, the, the less value that he holds. And of course, now we look at draft day this past year and we couldn't even, uh, really get a fourth, maybe even a fifth rounder because I don't think Howard Resman would have gave Ertz away for sixth or seventh at that point. No. But we'll see that June 1st, like T, T you were talking about the other day with us, um, you know, behind the scenes off camera about that June 1st, uh, you know, where, where the where the money won't hurt uh, either team uh, as much as it does right now if a trade were to go down. So it's definitely a situation we have to monitor. One more, one more thing to bring up to you guys is that a team that's really been in the talks about Julio Jones is – the New England Patriots. Okay. And that that makes a lot of sense because you have this Patriots team who have, Bill Belichick has been doing the most in this offseason, really yes. boosting up this team. And now they're looking like a Super Bowl contender again. They're looking like they're back on top. Uh, now that that's yet to be uh, official because they haven't played any games yet. But you have Cam Newton, who seems like he's going to be the starting quarterback until he messes up, which will happen. And then Mac Jones will go in there. Um, I mean, I'm just being honest, Max. I, I know it's going to happen. Cam Newton's going to. But it, I'm always rooting for Cam Newton because I believe he can play better than what, what he was. But 
Um, it's Bill Belichick. He runs a tight ship. And you just have guys like, excuse me, Nelson Aguilar at the wide receiver position. (laughs) Um, You have Hunter Henry over there uh, at the tight end. Um, And this is like a flash of the Randy Moss trade um, uh, Mm. for the the Patriots, too. And then another team, this is also going to hurt the Indianapolis Colts, giving Carson Wentz another weapon. You got Pittman Jr., who hasn't really proved himself yet, but you got uh, T.Y. Hilton, and then you combine that with Julio Jones. You got Jonathan Taylor over there at running back. Um, that's that's also a dangerous team. And, you know, the Colts want something for Carson Wentz, so they, they know that this trade that they made with the Eagles really did pay off. Yeah, and the, and the Colts are another team that might even have the draft capital to be able to pull that off. But yep. I will say if he goes to the Patriots, you probably will be seeing a lot of that, uh, that highlight of him in the end zone. Moss and that guy uh, – Opening week a couple of years back, I think we saw it uh, over the weekend with uh, with that catch he did. You know, one on one coverage against Julio, you're not going to win too many times. But but of course, those are definitely two situations to monitor. Cam Newton again had a, uh, a hot start to last year, mostly because of his legs. Right, we saw that uh, week two against the Seattle Seahawks on Sunday Night Football. Cam was able to really uh, use his legs, and I know he fumbled at the goal line there, and they lost the game. But the first couple of weeks he was really hot. Then his passing accuracy started to decrease as the season went on. He'll never be the same guy he was back in his MVP year in 2015, but can he be able to hold off Mac Jones for at least another year and try to you know, be able to not only stay healthy, but try to compete uh, and start each game uh, throughout the whole 17-game season? That remains to be seen. Now, the Patriots do struggle. Don't be surprised if Mac Jones uh, were to step in there and play. But we have to transition now. We got to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers. I know they're, they're you know 1-0 against the Washington Wizards. Probably wasn't as you know, easy of a victory as we wanted. But at the end of the day, a win is a win. Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal still had uh, solid performances for the Wizards, which we expected two Hall of Fame basketball players uh, eventually down the road. But after that, we expected Joel Embiid to dominate in the paint against Robin Lopez and Alex Len, who really don't stand a chance against him, especially during a regular season, which we've seen. And Joel Embiid got into foul trouble there in the first half, picked up three fouls, um, didn't play a ton of minutes. Then uh, when we need him in the fourth quarter, he really stepped up and showed up. But the guy I want to mention, I guess, first, and you guys can take this wherever you want, of course, is Tobias Harris shooting 15 to 29, obviously dropping 37 points. This is a guy that Woo! at least early on in his contract, uh, especially back when we had Jimmy Butler, really as that fourth guy, he wasn't able to show what he can fully do. And we got on him, you know, five years, $180 million, That's a lot of money. A long-term contract for a guy that wasn't putting up these numbers. But, you know, a lot of people kept on mentioning, let's see it in the playoffs. Let's see it in the playoffs. Average 19 and a half points per game during the regular season. Drops 37 in game one. You got to be impressed with what you've seen. Well, well I'm going to put this out there right now because I watched the entirety of that game. Um, I'm just going to say this right now. Seriously. What the f*** was up with the referees in that game? Seriously. Yo. Oh, my goodness. Oh, this game is so soft. Basketball is so soft, and, and it just irritates me. Like, some of the fouls were being called against Joel Embiid. I'm just sitting there going, dude, seriously, what the hell? Like, this is the playoffs. Like, this is the this is big boy time. Like, you call those sicky tech fouls in the regular season if you want to. But doggone it, this is, this is playoff time, man. This is where men are born. This is when boys become men. Like, come on now. Like, get, get, get your shit together. Like, seriously. Like, it, that was annoying to see that. But... It was really impressive to see Tobias Harris, you know, score 37 points. I don't think you're going to be able to get that offensive um, onslaught like that from Tobias Harris consistently. But if he can at least give you 15 plus, that's a huge help. Um, 
Man, Joel Embiid is a monster, man. He was getting double teamed, triple teamed, and on top of that, getting in foul trouble, and he's st- and he still got his. And I think that's really impressive. What really impresses me is that the bench stepped up. The bench stepped up in a huge way. Shake Milton stepped up. All right, Tease playing outstanding defense as usual. All right, uh, I this team can go far. However, I do see one problem. Tanner, I don't care what don't you say. It, I don't, don't care. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it right here, right now. Time was running out, T. Don't even (laughs) This team was only going to go as far as Ben Simmons takes them. And I'm serious about that. I'm so serious. How long are we going to continue to make excuses for this man? Like, I understand he's a facilitator. He had 15 assists and 15 boards. I'm not taking that away from him. That is hella impressive. However, we are not going to go to the finals and win against the Suns and win against the Lakers if Ben Simmons only scores six points and goes over six from the free throw line, it's not going to happen. I don't care what you say to me. Ben Simmons also has to step up as well. That's all I'm saying. Well, T, I'm glad you brought the bad points up because now I don't have to do that and I can just be happy talking about this. <laughs> but considering the Sixers did not play for what was that seven days um, before the game, uh, they're starters. Uh, they didn't play the pace. And then to come out against the Washington Wizards and play at that fast pace right away. You were worried maybe they were going to be rusty. Um, things weren't going to be clicking, but that wasn't the case. The The only problem now, I, I will bring up a bad point, was that three-point shooting. What well, was the was first horrendous. half was three of 17, I believe. It was horrendous. That's eight, yeah, that's 18%, but they did pick it up. Uh, you mentioned Tobias Harris, and I, I was on, you know, I was on the internet looking up the awful, Sixers and Celtics um, series in the playoffs last season. And just to um, compare Tobias Harris, he averaged 15 points in that series, really when you needed him because Ben Simmons was not playing. That's when you expect Tobias Harris to really excel. But then two of 15, the the entire series from the three-point line, uh, from from the arc, and then 13% field goal-wise. And then you combine his stats, 37 points, uh, he went two of five from the three and then 52% uh, field goal um, percentage, which already much better. Um, this is a much different player uh, than Sixers fans have seen um, in last season, especially he's playing with Doc Rivers. That's also um, to do with it. And this is a team that really, they're really on the defensive part. Whenever they're not doing as well, Doc Rivers asked um, during a timeout or something in an interview saying that their defense needs to pick up. That's the button he presses when this team is struggling. He knows they're a great defensive team and he knows they need to pick it up. But T you mentioned how, how you like the bench. And I was a little worried because uh, late in the game, when Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid were out, the Wizards went on a 10 0 run. They did. And that's really concerning to me. And what also is concerning is how Ben, how Joel Embiid was treated um, in that game. Now, I know he got 30 points, but the officiating and how he's playing against just Alex Len and guys like that, it's, I think he, it wasn't to me a Joel Embiid type of a game where you're just like, wow, uh, this guy can really play. Now, he was still playing amazing, but um, that's just another thing that was concerning to me. 
it was hard for him to be Joel Embiid because of the way the referees were calling him. I, right, and that's a home foul. game. Right, and, right, and it was at home to make it make all matters worse. Like, I'm sorry. So you, you're just going to penalize Joel Embiid because he's more skilled than the other guy? Come on, man, seriously. What the f*** is that? Like, that, that's ridiculous. I think one thing to point out here, uh, we've seen it a lot this season, and I'm assuming it's just because Doc wanted to rest him and pace you know, Danny Green uh, here and there, but he did play 31 minutes. That's not something that we're accustomed to seeing. He's usually in that mid-20s range, maybe even some games less than that. But he really pushed Danny Green, uh, and, Doc, and Doc Rivers I'm mentioning here, really pushed Danny Green to that 31-minute mark. Played well, at least when you look at the box score, uh, efficient three or four from beyond the arc, dropped 11 points. Seth Curry, I don't know what it is. Seth Curry just... Every game, it feels like he gets nicked up or something. You know, I, he hurt his chest, and he went down in a heap. Uh, luckily, he was able to go to the locker room and come back and stay healthy uh, for the rest of the game. But he played 32 minutes. Again, 3-9 and nine from beyond the arc um, here. And, uh, you want him to do that. I mean, you want him to take three-point shots. That's why he's out there. So I'm not going to complain. But really, our, our defense as a whole, we give up 118 points to the Wizards. I mean, that's not good. They had 62 points at halftime, which was, I was really surprised about. They did shoot 40% from three, which is surprising to me. Um, but again, I think one thing I want to look at here, if you want to dive deeper into, into the game, you, people want to mention Ben Simmons. The only thing I can really point to is the free throw shooting. He went, Oh, six on the free throw line. I mean, I know he's not going to score the basketball at a high rate, but he does need to knock down his free throws because if he doesn't, they're just going to hack him towards the end of basketball games. He's going to go to the line. And that's one thing that makes me a little bit nervous. Uh, I know that he had 15 rebounds and 15 assists. Of course, Doc Rivers even went as far as to praise him in the, in the post game, but one thing here before I throw it to you guys to uh, to take it, I want to mention here George Hill. Um, I think George Hill, a guy that I when we got him, I was happy from the sense that we didn't have to give up too much. But at the same time, you have to look at me wanting to just see more out of him um, when he steps on the basketball court. I think his three point shooting was one thing was big for for me when I saw it forty percent in Oklahoma City before he came over to the Philadelphia 76ers. But I want to mention him not only from a player on the court but just a guy i know he's going to be here for a short period of time but a guy that maxi and shake uh can really learn a thing or two from because this is playoff basketball i know it's against the wizards i know it's round one but any any experience helps shake is a guy that i've been hard on because he hasn't played great uh the second half of the regular season and i'm still not sold on him being a point guard i really want to see him as a two guard tyrese maxi played only seven minutes he had a nice and one finish at the rim the thing I like about Tyrese Maxey is he's a go-getter. You know, he's not going to sit there and be uh, stagnant. He's aggressive, uh, even during the regular season when he gets his playing time. And we saw it. A guy, his first playoff minutes, you know, you expect him to maybe take a few dribbles, pass it back up to a veteran guy. But he really went in there and attacked the rim for that and one. Yep. I really hope George Hill in his short time here can uh, teach as much as he can, but also Maxey and Shake to learn because these are the two guys that are going to be in reserve roles probably going forward for the Sixers, and I'm happy because Tyrese Maxey, at least in the middle of the season and towards the end, people were saying, oh, man, we should we should have threw him in a deal for Kyle Lowry. You know, even though he wasn't getting that many minutes, people really expected him because of how hot he started out. Remember, with the COVID issues and things we had in the beginning of the season, how hot he was in the reserve role and stepping into that starting spot. But I'm happy. I don't know about you guys. I think that's one small takeaway I took from, from the game. And just George Hill, only his play on the court, as not only his play on the court, as a five of eight from the field, one of three from beyond the arc. And he stepped into a solid reserve role, which we expected. But Tyrese Maxey and, and Shake Milton, uh, this is going to be an important uh, or important postseason for them just to get experience and, uh, you know, learn as much as they can. Most definitely. And like and you touched on it, man, that's the one thing I'm concerned about. I mean, look, Tanner, you can you can tell me you can complain. You can make all the faces that you want. It's, I'm concerned about Ben Simmons. 
and his lack of shooting. I'm sorry. It's going to be a detriment to this team until it is addressed. I'm sorry. It just is. As Max said, all right, towards the end of games, they're going to start hacking him. and They're going to start putting him at the free throw line. The better the team, the more likely they're going to do it. And I would do it too. Because guess what? That's your weak point on the offensive side of the ball. He is. He's he's a huge he's a huge part of it, but he's also a huge weakness to it as well. So look, if this team wants to go to the finals, Ben Simmons is gonna have to step up big time. Big time. Yeah, T, I actually don't agree, but don't disagree with you. Um, I think that in order for the Sixers to continue winning, um, and to show that they can compete against the the trio of what? Durant, Harden, and Kyrie is for Ben Simmons to step up and show that, you know, him, Joel, and Tobias Harris are at the same level uh, when they're all on. And for Ben Simmons to be a leader of this team and hit the line and go 0 for 6 in a game that was that was a little closer than we expected it to be. Now, Ben Simmons, he better have been in the gym at the line, shooting 100 uh, free throws until he felt comfortable um, with the percentage uh, of the balls that were falling down. Because earlier in the season, I was praising Ben Simmons for how good he was at yes. the free throw line because he was much better. It wasn't, oh boy, here it goes. Here, here comes Ben Simmons to the line. It was, all right, more points on the board. Let's go. And now he comes and drops an egg in at the line during the playoffs, it's not acceptable, especially from a leader, like I mentioned. No, it's not. Now, let's let's mention here real fast from a Wizards standpoint. We talk a lot about the Sixers, and we do expect them to either sweep the series or at least take five games. But Bradley Beal, we know, is a, is a problem offensively uh, from the Wizards. And we also know Russell Westbrook. He's hot and cold. Um, and again, 15 points, I believe he had, and 14, 16 points and 14 assists he had. Ruby Hachimura, I think is stepping into a bigger role than he probably expected to in his young career. I mean, this is what his second year in the league or third year in the league. He's playing, he's playing 36 minutes a game on a playoff team in the Washington Wizards. So from his standpoint, again, he got to be happy for him again, Gonzaga. He played great for them uh, at the university of Gonzaga for a year. And um, I was always kind of a fan of his, but uh, nonetheless, you also have to look at their backcourt. We can't lose to a team that's starting. Who am I going to say? Raul Neto. At a point guard, <laughs> a guy the Sixers are very familiar with as like their twelfth or eleventh or twelfth man a few years back. <laughs> now he's starting against them. Not only that, Ish Smith, I can't have it's I can't have low any more than five games for me is unacceptable <laughs> with Neto and Ish Smith there in the backcourt. And again, Robin Lopez and Alex Len. I'm sure this is a game that we can chalk up as again. It's a win at the end of the day, but. You got to remember the Sixers had off for about a week, probably a little rusty, but I'd rather have that than, you know, them playing a bunch of games in a row. Like we've seen the Memphis Grizzlies had to do a couple of playing games. They actually, the other night, if you watched any of that jazz game, they, they showed out and played really well against the jazz, but, but going forward here in this series, uh, Wednesday night game two, of course, at home, I think the last thing I want to mention here before we wrap up this segment mm-hmm. and, and move on to the Philadelphia Phillies is Joel Embiid just trying to stay out of foul trouble and him, Listen, not having a, a, his best game by any means, but still having 30 points. Um, I want to mention, I want to tie this in kind of with the MVP thing real quick because I've seen Steph Curry miss the playoffs. He's one of the finalists. I've seen the Joker get a little, like, I, and again, I've been trying to keep up as much as I can with the NBA playoffs, but again, he's getting a little, his temper's 
uh, are rising a little bit in the, in the games that we've seen against Portland early on. So, so from an MVP standpoint, I'm assuming we're all going to still believe the Joker is going to get it. Yeah. But again, Joel Embiid going forward here, we, I know how important he is. But really, what does he have to? Does he just have to like and put his will into himself and just dominate, or or do you want him to try to just stay out of foul trouble? Because there's got to be a little give and take. He, he's still going to have to be Joel Embiid at the end of the day. Like he can't he can't succumb to the fact that these referees sometimes are just going to call ticky tack fouls. It, it's just going to happen. He he has to play Joel Embiid's game. He cannot turn into the Joel Embiid that starts taking those outside shots. All right, he's made his bread and butter this season on being inside of the three point line, hitting those mid range face up shots. All right, being in the paint, being in the post, hitting those fadeaway shots. That's who Joel Embiid is, and in order that's what <laughs> that's what got him to be an MVP candidate this year. So he cannot change that part of his game. Look. If the referees are going to call it, then they're going to call it. You make adjustments then, but don't change who you are just based off of, you know, a couple of calls. He can't do that. He has to play Joel Embiid's game. Yeah, definitely agree to you. You can't have Joel Embiid acting stiff. You got to let him remain playing loose, um, doing what he does, because when he is Joel Embiid um, and he's loose and having fun out there, that's when the Sixers really have the most success. I'm not saying go out there and act like an animal foul out and then have the Sixers uh, uh, lose in games. That's not what I'm saying at all. But Joel Embiid, when he's happy, when he's playing, when he's doing what he wants, uh, the Sixers are a much better team, and he's a much better player. Now, we saw it with the Raptors series um, a few years ago when he was really focused on more so of what he looked like uh, playing. That's when the Sixers ran into trouble. Um, but that's for me, That that's also another key for Sixers success. You mentioned, we all mentioned Ben Simmons and how he needs to step up, but Joel Embiid remaining uh, the same, playing at the same level he's been playing all season. Uh, that's that's really what the Sixers need. Number four. Yeah, I'm definitely, I'm not nervous about it. I just think uh, I want us to see him in game two. And of course, uh, as we go on, continue to dominate. Now, now before we, we move on to baseball in the Phillies, I, I will say this because I've been watching a couple other games as well while I've been, you know, doing my thing in the studio. Um, I've been watching, I watched the Lakers and the Suns series, um, series game. Um, Anthony Davis doesn't look so hot. He really doesn't. And I really think the Suns are really pushing the Lakers. I don't know what it is about Anthony Davis and that jump shot this year. It just hasn't been there, and it's been really weird. And if the Lakers don't look out, it, that could be a surprise team that that's out of the playoffs, unfortunately. Um, and what's up with LeBron's flopping? I, he's still doing that? Seriously? Really? <laughs> really, LeBron? Seriously? We, you, you're big. And you're still you're that doggone big, and you gonna flop like that? You gonna make that <laughs> make it that obvious that you're gonna flop? Seriously, but yeah, Devin Booker's been on a tear, and I've always I've always liked Devin Booker's game. I always have. I've always been a huge fan of his game. And you know what, man? I I wouldn't be surprised if the Suns really kicked the Lakers out. I really wouldn't be surprised. But you know, if and if they do, that's a team to look out for in the West. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think at this point any any of the teams are really scared of the Lakers per se. They're no. not what they were last season. Um, but a team that I'm really focused on, even before the Nets, is this series between the Bucks and the Heat. Now the Bucks are mm. are leading the series, obviously, 
And as a Sixers fan, I I really don't want to face um, any of these teams for for the Sixers to face any of these teams. I don't want to face Miami from the point of of what they did in our last encounter with them. They bullied the Sixers. Jimmy Butler basically went to the coaching staff and said that the Sixers were soft. And they took advantage of that. This 76 squad cannot handle the intensity and the bully mentality that the Miami Heat have because they did not handle it well towards the towards the end of the season. They didn't. I listen, the Bucks, I think, you know, I don't want to see the Bucks either, but at the same time, we'll still compete with the Bucks. I definitely don't want to see Miami. Miami is a team that could push the Sixers out. What do you think, Max? Are you more well, scared of the Heat or the Bucks? I think I'm more scared of the Bucks. I, I do. I think. Well, listen, the regular that, that last game towards the regular end of the regular season really didn't tell me a lot. I don't think this. First of all, our starters barely even played. Uh, we were resting. We already kind of had that one seed almost wrapped up because we had to play the Orlando Magic, who were literally losing on purpose for that number one seed. So uh, I wasn't too worried about it. I think the Bucks really showed last night why they're uh, a title contender. Uh, they really just destroyed the Miami Heat. Um, Jimmy Butler, I get it. He's a very good leader. Last year, going to the NBA Finals, even though, in my opinion, I'm not going to say it was a fluke, but obviously a product of the bubble. I think the Heat are a good team. I think the Sixers are better. I think the Bucks are better than the Heat, but I also think the Sixers are better. The team, obviously, is the Brooklyn Nets. Um, they looked iffy for the first half against the Boston Celtics, but really turned it on in the second half. So it remains to be seen. The good news is I hope these games all go seven because, hell, everybody just – Everybody just beat the hell out of each other, and then we'll pick at the pick at the bones uh, at, at when we when we get to play them. So Definitely that's the goal that. for me. And I think I think what you see in in the Bucks right now is Giannis not only him dominating in the paint um, and as a leader, but Chris Middleton again. He had the game winner in game one, and uh, he's kind of their go to scorer, a guy that people really I think underrate at times because he's not a hot name, and he also plays in Milwaukee. Not a lot of people want to watch them during the regular season, but again, definitely a scary team, and they got some depth to uh, to compete, no doubt. Um, with that being said, now let's transition to the Philadelphia Phillies, and of course, oh no! When we left, when we left you guys there for a two week period, they were right there uh, fighting with the New York Mets. Who? Let me just say something about the Mets. Not only do I hate the Mets, but they never play. They never play. Every Monday or Thursday when there's kind of that getaway game because of the fact that they obviously had COVID issues early on the season, they got some games to make up. And I'm sitting here looking at the schedule right now, 23 and 25 overall record for the Phillies. I'm like, damn, you know, we've played a, a good chunk of baseball games. You know, 48 games at this point is a lot. Then you look at the Mets, 21 and 20. I mean, they got like a six, seven game advantage in, of games in hand against us. And just looking at the schedule, that bothers me. But that's a story for another day. I just... I think right now, over the last week, we know this team has had, you know, inefficiencies in, you know, hitting in in pitching, not only bullpen related, but starting pitcher pitching related. I will say this, and again, there's so many places to start with this team, but I do want to mention real quick this offense. Of course, we lose JT to injury, we lose DJ Gregorius to injury, and we lose Bryce. It's an outrage. Since he got hit in the face, he just hasn't really been the same player. I understand that. But when you look at Joe Girardi here, he's going to take some heat because of the fact he's in Philadelphia with a losing record at this point in time. 
I know we, we, us as a group, love to talk about the lineup. I think that's one thing we always like to dive into. And, of course, we did it last year and the year before that when we were able to be in studio together and talk, talk about what we can do to this lineup to help fix our offensive problems. So I want to start with just I understand the talent and, and or maybe the lack of talent that we have right now is a problem, of course, with the injuries. But right now where we stand – Kind of without JT, we know for a couple more days, DD as well, probably for longer than that. His, the swelling in his elbow just won't go down. Where Where's the fix with this offense here? I know I know the defense is another issue. So many errors. Alec Bowman at third base has been a problem, and Reese yeah. uh, defensively as well. We can't, in my opinion, can't take Reese out of the lineup because his bat is just too hot right now. Um, and I'm not going to say it's been hot. like He's not hitting 300, but he's given us more than what the mo- rest of our lineup really is aside from a double Herrera. So when you look at the number one fix for the offense, I mean, where do you look in this lineup to fix things? It, it's it's hard to pinpoint one thing with this. Well, first and foremost, I'm, I've had a problem with this for a while now, and, it, and it's something that I'm starting to pick up the more baseball I see. What I see now is more players swinging for defense and swinging for home runs than I do them trying to get base hits, which I, it's annoying to me. And I think with our power hitters, you know, Bryce and JT and Reese, you know, for the most part, you know, teams will shift to a certain side to account for the fact that they hit for the most part, they favor to hit on, you know, those particular sides. So why aren't we practicing hitting to the other side? Why aren't we practicing hitting where the players aren't? That's the part I don't understand. I understand you're trying to get home runs and things of that nature and citizens bank park is really, you know, it, it's a it's a favorable park for hitters, but I don't understand from the concept of why are we not getting a whole lot more base hits than we really should. We have excellent hitters. We don't have scrubs as hitters. Bryce Harper is an excellent hitter. Reese Hoskins is an excellent hitter. I don't understand why everybody has to swing for the fences, and I think that's the one thing that we have to fix is the fact that their batting their batting stance and their batting approach is completely wrong. Yes, you want to put runs on the board. That's perfectly fine. But sometimes just getting the first and second base and putting that threat on the bases helps tremendously. And it helps kind of take some focus off of that opposing pitcher. So they have to change up their mentality of how they approach these bats. And it's getting absolutely ridiculous. I think what is really against the Philadelphia Phillies is the expectations um, that that are set for this team. You have guys like Bryce Harper, Reese Hoskins, Real Muto, D.D. Gregorius, McCutcheon. You got Aaron Nola on the mound and still performing like they are 11 and 14 against division opponents. That's just unacceptable, especially in a division where the Miami Marlins are. And every single season, this team struggles against the Marlins and nobody knows why. Um, really, it's just it, you think it's a fluke, but now it's, it's just are, are the Marlins just better than the Phillies somehow all, all the time, like every season. But now they're they're struggling offensively. And Max, definitely. I mean, you already talked about it, but don't take Reese Hoskins out of this lineup. He's now you you said it, he's not batting 300, but he's batting 261, uh, 27 RBIs. He's leading the team. Um, now he, he hit a slump because right after our, our last show, he was at 99 overall home runs and he just got that 100th home run. Um, was it two or three days ago? 
Um, yes. Yes. And now, before that though, he it seemed like almost every game uh, he was knocking in runs, um, hitting the ball over the fence. Um, he hit a slump, which it, you know every every um, powerful batter hits a slump. Um, I mean, for years and years, we saw Ryan Howard he either strikes out or hits a home run. Yep. Um, but yeah, it, on paper, this team is amazing. Uh, the players that this team has, um, you have Odubel Herrera, who the Phillies gave another chance to. Um, they're still sticking with him, even though in the beginning he was he was not performing well, but they have no other option. Yep. And that's crazy to me because you go in to the season expecting the best from this team with just worries about the bullpen. Now you have to worry about the center field position again. Now every season it's the bullpen, and then another problem pops up. Yeah, it, that That's just – it seems like everything is going against the Phillies right now, and I'm hoping they pick it up soon, and I'm hoping that this is the, the only big slump that this Phillies team sees this season. Yeah, Tim, I think you hit a nail on the head because I wanted to bring up the point with with the shift and, and kind of not being able to hit the ball the other way. And for me, I don't want to turn this into the praise of Duel Herrera show, but I want to mention this. I think one of the things that we've seen as him continue to get at bats under his feet and see pitches, see pitches at the major league level again, I like what I see from him, not only in this week's stretch, but I think going forward because he's not only a guy that I, I, I get it. Like there, there's times where he'll ground out to third base and he'll hit it, like flip his bat like he just hit a 400-foot home run. A lot of people hate that. Of course, you want to bring off the off-the-field issues as well. But when we sit here right now today, uh, talk about winning baseball games, I think one of the things I want to mention here is, one, he takes the ball the other way more than probably anybody else in this team. I mean, we've seen a lot of times him being able to hit the ball down the third baseline, uh, not only as a ground ball, but maybe even as a line drive down a left field line and also maybe hook it into that shortstop area because they shift him over to the right side of the infield. So one of the things I like is he sees a lot of pitches. He hits the ball the other way. And right now he's probably one of our better hitters. I want to see him get moved up into a leadoff spot and get Andrew McCutcheon out of there. One of the reasons is because I get it. He's going to like, he strikes out sometimes not at the rate as other players on this team does. And there's going to be times where he's going to do something in the top of that lineup where people look at him and say, why the hell is he hitting leadoff for us? He just swung out a pitch in the dirt. But when you take the whole small sample size that we've seen from him and put it all together. I think he gives us a better shot at getting on base for the guys behind us right now than Andrew McCutcheon does. I just don't see that same old Andrew McCutcheon, not even the one that we saw in 2013 with his MVP season, but just a couple of years ago, he obviously played for the Giants and the Yankees. Since that injury in San Diego, a few years back with his ACL, he's not been the same player and he's just not getting on base enough, uh, especially walk. The guy does not walk barely ever. And I want to see a change at the leadoff spot. I think Herrera right now, not Gene Segura. I think it was my other option, but only because Gene Segura is just a little too aggressive for me, not as much of a patient hitter probably. Herrera is too, but I think Herrera, I, I've seen a lot of Herrera get a fair share of three, two counts. Now, whether he strikes out or walks, of course, is um, you know up to him. And we've seen him strike out a fair share of times. But I do like that he works the count. I think McCutcheon, I've just seen too many ground balls to shortstop, too many easy outs from him as a leadoff hitter. And I, I do want to touch on this because, and you, Max, you touched on it earlier. But also, you know, this team has offensive issues as well. But defensively, this team stinks. Let's be honest here. Fellas, we have balls going into the outfield, and two outfielders can't even communicate with each other on who's going to catch the damn ball. This is absolute, This is pitiful. Like, they're, 
the defensive problems on this team are like little league stuff. This should not be happening in the big leagues. And you know what? There was an incident not too like maybe last week where Joe Girardi was getting into it with Gene Segura on defense. And you know what? If that's what it takes to light a fire up under these guys, then it needs to be done because defensively, they, you you went into it. Alec Baum really isn't a third baseman. He, he's not. He's a hell of a hitter, not a third baseman. Reese Hoskins is really not a first baseman. Max, I don't care what you say. I'm sorry. Bryce Harper. Dude, come on. Between the hitting, between the fielding, is he really worth $330 million? I'm, I'm just putting that out there. Were we excited when he first signed? Yes. And I put my foot in my mouth when I said that I didn't care. I still remember that. However, he's not stepping up to the plate when we need him. I'm not paying you $330 million for nothing. I'm not. And we also got into it about Aaron Nola and if he's an ace or not. Aaron Nola is not an ace. I said that and it's unfortunately it's coming to fruition. Aaron Nola is not the ace everybody expected him to be. All right. Wheeler is an ace. He's an ace. He's been the Phillies ace this yes. year. Honestly, we're not getting production from the guys we expect a production from. And that's the issue with this team. Honestly, when we need runs, we can't get runs. When we get runs, we can't play defense or we can't keep the other team from scoring as well because the pitching sucks. And still, in the rotation somewhat is still in flux as well. The uh, the bullpen is still in flux. It's, it's a never-ending cycle with this team. It's always something. It's the same issues, but they just keep cropping up in different situations, and it's frustrating. Got about yeah. five minutes left, Tanner. I'll let you go here before I, before I wrap it up. Yeah, first off, we like hearing that uh, Max and I, especially about Zach Wheeler, because before the season started, Max and I were high on Zach Wheeler, and uh, people were, especially a Mets fan that we got in an argument with, um, he was talking about a contract, and we, we were saying he, he's going to step up and, and show that he's really worth it. But to Gene Segura, now this isn't the first time he, he's no. been in an argument with the coach. Um, I don't know if it really is – personality issues on this team um, or not. But Gene Segura, I remember, um, I think it was last season, he didn't run that ball out. Um, he didn't really get reprimanded as much. Now, it seems like Joe Girardi is running a, a tighter ship. Um, but that's uh, that's something else that this team does not need. Um, um, stuff like that happening um, in the dugout. Um, when this team is struggling the way they are. But, Max, you're not going to like this either because I'm going to join in with what T said, too, about Bryce Harper. Now, this is right field, the easiest position um, in baseball. Uh, you put the guy who is uh, the less talented on defense in right field. Um, and, and if he's, he's a good bat, really, Bryce Harper is known for his batting. Um, and since he signed on the Philadelphia Phillies, we've noticed that he sometimes loses um, pop flies easily. He doesn't track the ball down correctly. Um, and that's something that, that I think we're going to have to get used to because it doesn't seem like it's really improving that much. But it's easy to say that he hasn't lived up to his contract because that's $330 million. Now, I don't know. I don't even know what that looks like to live up to a contract like that. And I think expectations, just like for this team, for Bryce Harper, are always going to be high. 
And I think that's really what's getting in the way. And you have to admit, Bryce Harper hasn't really stepped up. And to some people, he never has stepped up to his contract. Now, real quick, um, Tanner, I know you said, you know, off camera that you didn't catch any Phillies games. Let me tell you something. There was a game on Thursday or Friday, and there was a a regular routine um, ball that was sent out. And Gene Segura just, he he missed the ball, and he just laid on the ground. He didn't do anything. He didn't get up or nothing. Me and John Johnson ripped him this past weekend for that. This team needs to needs a fire lit up under their asses. They do. I think it was Friday, too, the one you're talking about against mm. the Red Sox, if I believe yeah, correctly. I but so. Bryce Harper, let me tell you a thing or two about Bryce Harper real quick, considering, you know, number one fanboy over here, Bryce. Um, Bryce is at his best when he's taking the ball the other way to, to left center field. We've seen that when he was on his hot streak uh, back before he got hit in the face. Not to make that an excuse, but, you know, you take a 99-mile-hour fastball to face. I mean, it changes some things. But listen. He's late on the fastball right now. He's late on it. He's getting to the inside pitches. It's he's ridiculous. rolling over on him. He's late on the fastball and fouling easy pitches back off that, you know, he probably should put in the second deck out in like right or left field, whichever it may be. What's he here for? One of the things about this team right now, and I don't, I don't want to bring up the injuries, but they're, they're a problem because Bryce has the wrist injury right now. I don't, he doesn't want to admit it. He's got the back issues, of course. Um, but when we get back to full strength here, I think right now, quickly before we wrap this up, I think Brad Miller being hot as he is right now, he has to move up in the lineup. I would sit Alec Bohm on the bench from third base because of how terrible he is defensively at third base right now. I think the worst in the league, to be honest with you, uh, statistically, uh, defensively at third base. Brad Miller needs to get moved up to the number two hole right now and start at third base every single day, at least for the next uh, few games, maybe even longer. Just let Alec Bohm reset. I think – Alec Boehm has come up the ranks. He's dominated since he was probably five years old. Dude's 6'6". He's probably been the biggest and best kid on his team ever since he could walk. And he's finally now in his mid-20s, finally struggling at the big league level. It's probably the first time in his career he's ever struggled. So just let him reset, kind of get his feet back under him. Um, and again, we're fouling pitches off. That's one thing I've seen. Boehm especially and Bryce, they're fouling fastballs off that they should be crushing. Um, and once they get that figured out, I know they're going to get back on a hot streak. So I would go doable one right now. I would go, um, I would go Brad Miller, number two, just based on how hot he is. He needs to get up in that order. I would go Bryce number three when he's healthy and Reese number four. Now I think Segura real fast. He was playing well when he came back. We got to remember that Atlanta series on the road since he came back from that injury to his quad. He started out in that five, six hole. already had him. And I think he was like 10 of 17. I mean, he was hitting everything, uh, getting on base a ton. I like him down there in the lineup. I like him in that five, that six spot in the lineup. Now, what you do with Andrew McCutcheon, I'm not too sure. I still would like to see Nick Maton back in the lineup. I don't know why Girardi decides to put Torres. I know Maton struggled a bit since we left Toronto and uh, Dunedin a couple weeks. I know he had two home, had two homer game a couple weeks back, and he struggled since. But I'd like to see Maton back in the lineup, get some at bat, see if he can get that uh, fire back underneath him. But again, just to sum everything up, Herrera, Miller, Harper, Hoskins, and then maybe even Segura right now at number five. It's so hard because you're injured so badly with Gregorius, who knows when he's going to come back. I think JT, who's been hitting in that fourth spot when healthy, I'd like to see him move up to number two, right? Maybe move Brad Miller back down to five, and then you have Segura six, break up Hoskins, Miller, and Segura righty or lefty, righty, lefty. We'll see. I know Girardi doesn't really care about that, but. I think right now when JT comes back, if you got a two, three, four JT, you got Bryce to back him up, and then Hoskins, who's the power hitter, that's kind of why he's out there. I like that better than what we've seen. So, so we'll see. We'll see what Joe Girardi does. Alec Boehm right now, hopefully, just 
just get him some rest. That's that's my uh, that's my last point. Um, oh, by the way, before we close out, um, Andrew Knapp is actually doing halfway decent. I don't know how we should feel about that. I really don't. Not last night, Tay. Struck out three times last night, but yeah. I will say. He's yeah, Tay, uh, struck out. Come on, <laughs> Andrew Knapp. Oh, you piece of Swiss cheese. <laughs> three times. And again, I get it. Andrew Knapp has to be in the lineup because JT's not. But hit him eighth, please. Just hit him eighth. I, I know. It's Andrew Knapp, though. You got to remember. You got to remember. Don't forget yes, what we've thank seen you. three years ago. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sick it, of it this. Is, don't forget it's Andrew Knapp, the guy who leaves the most runners on base. But also, before we end this show, on our Instagram page, we're going to have a video of our predictions of the 2021 Eagles, Philadelphia Eagles schedule. Uh, so also stay tuned to that. All right. If you guys miss any of this episode, you can always go to philly com. Available on all major downloadable platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Instagram at the Philly Experience Podcast. Twitter at the Philly EXP1 on Twitter. And also follow us on Facebook at the Philly Experience 1. Boys, it's good to be back doing this with y'all again. Ah, man. This Philly team's got to step up, though. Seriously. This is getting disappointing. It's going to be a real corny summer if they don't step up. They need to beat the Marlins. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We should move it on to sports. Andrew McClutchin. It's ridiculous. Man, that's ludicrous. What the hell is going on?